few announcements as we get going. Let me talk to you a little bit about our uh, upcoming seasons at the church and things that are happening. Normally in the life of our church, it's, it's pretty structured. And what you find is that uh, at this time every year, we start going through uh, three different things. We go through a, a, a stewardship or budgeting process. We go through electing uh, elders, and we go through electing deacons. And uh, so a few announcements on those things. Uh, we believe that in the Presbyterian Church, one of the things that the congregation is able to do is to elect its own officers, uh, that is its elders and its deacons, uh, to serve. This year, uh, with COVID, the session looked back and said, how, how do we do the whole election thing? It's just kind of really strange, and, and, and we're all scattered, and, and it's just a really weird time. So what we've done is we've asked all of our standing officers to serve an extra year. So I'll just let you know there will not be elder or deacon elections in 2020. 2020 just keeps getting worse. It's like the worst year ever, right? Um, everyone's heartbroken over that. The other thing is we're going to start talking about stewardship some, and unfortunately for you, we still will have stewardship in 2020. Um, we couldn't figure out a way to, to function without it. I mean, we would love to not do it, but, uh, but God's good. Um, so here's what that kind of entails. Two big weeks, November the 1st. Uh, we'll probably be worshiping outside if the weather's nice. And after that outside worship, um, you'll get kind of information about this. We're going to have a kind of a budgeting meeting, and we do this every year, where we go over the finances of the church. We try to be a, a blank slate and let everybody know, here's what we spend on missions, here's what we spend on foreign, here's what we spend on domestic, here's what we spend on staff, salaries, here's what we, and that's my favorite day, bar none. Um, it's everything. We just kind of go through all the little ways we spend money. We try to be open. And so you can come to that on, on the 1st if you want to know all about church spending. Uh, then on November the 8th, we'll actually be the day that we bring our pledge cards in and you write down a good faith estimate of what you would be willing to give as a contribution to the Lord's work here at Lakeside as your tithes and offerings next year. All right, one other big thing that has to do with who we are as a people. We always say we're gospel-driven, mission-centered family of believers. We have an opportunity for missions, and it came up on us fast. We've got several opportunities for missions. Let me, let me list off two or three real quick. One, uh, there's a good possibility that we will be putting together a short-term mission trip down to uh, the Louisiana coast to kind of respond to the hurricanes that have been happening. Uh, we're thinking of maybe the weekend before Thanksgiving. Uh, so see if that fits in your schedule. We'll probably you know, go up on a Friday morning, work Friday, Saturday, come back Sunday afternoon, something like that. Uh, we'll probably be in the Lake Charles area. So uh, be thinking about participating in that. The second thing has to do with foreign missions. Um, every year, we try to support uh, Belize in several ventures. One of those ventures is there's a school in Belize. It's up in the kind of mountain jungle area, really remote, really poor, a lot of malaria, a lot of bad drinking water. We've had a relationship with them for four years at St. Margaret's School. And every year, what we try to do is take on as a church the responsibility of providing them with school supplies, pens, pencils, dry erase markers, things for teachers. If you were to walk out this door today and look on the desk right there, you're going to find a flyer, a little half-page flyer that's got all the school supplies we need to send to Belize. Unfortunately, we found out that there was a shipping container leaving last minute, so we only have one week to be responsive as a church. And as I know us, it normally takes us longer. So I'm asking you to work outside the way we normally function. Think about it today. Think about it tomorrow. You can grab uh, school supplies, bring them to church next Sunday, or any time during the week, we will have uh, the church office open. You can just bring school supplies. We'll be boxing those up and taking those to a, a shipping container uh, in Ocean Springs that's going to actually go to Amarillo, Texas, and hop on uh, a barge somewhere. You kind of wonder, like, why, why are they bringing it to Amarillo in the center of the country to get on a barge? I don't understand it, but it's what we're doing. Uh, so those are some mission options for us as we go through. Uh, now, hear this. You're at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. Well, we're going to be doing some work in the Psalms today. Uh, but before we get going any further, before we sing our songs and pray our prayers, I want to call us to worship by, by actually uh, proclaiming our faith out uh, through the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able. And uh, we're going to put the Creed up here on the screens behind us. And I'm going to ask you this question. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven 
and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Our musicians will come forward and we will enjoy the ministry of music. As you can tell, Reverend Blaha is not with us today, and therefore I get the privilege of leading in prayer this morning. Uh, we are going to be preaching through some of the Psalms over the next few weeks, and really the heart of that preaching through the Psalms is talking about how many of the Psalms are, are set to be prayed. They're actually prayers of the saints, and they're useful in our prayer life. And so what I want to do today is as we come to God in confession, I want to use Psalm 51 as part of that. So we're going to give a little time uh, to call us to, to our own quiet confession and repentance. Then we'll read Psalm 51 together and then join together in the Lord's Prayer. So let's pray. Father, um, what a blessing it is to be called together on this Sabbath day. This is the Lord's Day. And as we come into the sanctuary, as we're with all the other saints gathered here today, God, we really feel your presence. And the one thing we sense when we feel your presence is your holiness, your goodness. And it really brings into contrast our brokenness and our sinfulness. God, I've got to confess I'm convicted of sin. I know my friends here are as well. So we're going to take just some time this morning, Lord, and confess before you the sins of our hearts and our lives. And Father, we use these words of David uh, that he wrote down after his encounter with the prophet Nathan, after he had gone to see Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop that I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. 
Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Father, we do uh, pray this prayer of David's. He prayed uh, to be washed with hyssop and that he may be clean. God, we pray that we would be washed with the blood of Jesus, the only thing that brings forgiveness of sins. Christ, to you be our glory and honor in your church now and forever. And we pray that prayer that Christ taught us as we say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us again enjoy the ministry of music. your heart to him, church. Christ alone. 
are here even though your football team's all lost. That's so nice of you. I know not everyone's football team lost. Some of y'all root for the bad guys and you came anyway. Um, this, you know, God does this miraculous work in this. You know, we got ready to, uh, to preach on Psalm chapter 1 and, uh, and there, lo and behold, Nathan does his job and he picks a song to sing about Psalm chapter 1. So he got to sing those words today. It's really a version of, of Psalm 1 and uh, kind of a, a beautiful song. And I, I've always really loved music. Did I wonder if any of you guys grew up in a, a house kind of like mine. Um, my parents weren't really musical, uh, but uh, you know, my mom sang some. You know, it was never when we wanted her to. It was kind of like that, that harmony on the radio and kind of just, you know, like mom sing. And, uh, but, but in my house, if you were to walk in my house right now, you'd notice a few things. One, you'd notice like this guy has all of his college furniture still. Like, that's so sweet. Uh, like, he's got that same, like, one, like, lamp that shines up on the ceiling that's crooked. And you go, like, God, he just never grew up. And the other thing you notice is that we have a lot of instruments around our home. We have, uh, you're going to be guitars in this corner, and then we've got a piano, and bass guitars, and cellos, and a, a lot of different instruments. Um, and we're not a, a, a family full of musical prodigies, but we are a family that likes music. I've always liked music. It does something music does to stir your soul. It, it kind of pulls at our emotions in almost unconscious ways. And that's why when you, when you turn, you watch a great movie, they use music to help tell the story. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Behind all the um, action in a movie, behind all the dialogue, great movies have inserted into them this kind of musical score. It's almost a, a subconscious melody. Strings and drums, and they, they kind of push and pull at your heart, and you might not even notice when it's happening. Um, it would be one thing to be out in the ocean swimming. It would be another thing to be out in the ocean swimming and to hear in your mind's eye the theme song to Jaws, right? Bum, 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 bum. You know, because, because that, it, it, that song lets you know something is wrong, something is broken, and somebody's behind you, and maybe it's a, it's a shark. I don't know. And, and you know that, that scene in Braveheart, there's several of them, but there's one scene in which Mel Gibson is running along the cliffs of the Scottish Highland, and, and it's just beautiful, and in the background you hear these bagpipes playing, and it always makes me feel like a rebel, and I want to join the cause and go fight the over, you know, the overthrow the government, and I, I always feel that way. But if he was just running and there wasn't music back there, I'd just be like, God, that looks exhausting. Like, what's he doing? They don't exercise. I mean, it, was, it, it, just, it doesn't make sense. The, the music brings it all together. Consider our real world. When you go to the stadium to watch your favorite football team lose, um, well, not all of you, uh, just Mississippi State fans, uh, Ole Miss fans, and anyone interested in Texas Tech football, which is just me. But, but when you go to watch your teams play, the, the people who manage the stadium, they know how to generate excitement in the crowd. They know what kind of music to play, and, and, and when you're in high school, it's the sound of the marching band, and, and you come in, and everybody's, it gets you fired up, right? And then if you're in Boston, it's the weirdest thing. It just happens to be Neil Diamond. I mean, Sweet, Sweet Caroline, like when did that become like stadium music? But it is, and it works somehow to create this excitement. You ever been to a funeral? Maybe the funeral of, of a service member, someone who has lost their life, but before that served in the armed services. You might have been holding it together throughout most of the funeral, but if that trumpeteer comes out and starts to play taps, boy, I don't know of another sound or another song that pierces the heart and puts a lump in the throat as automatically as taps on the horn at a funeral. You know, the church has long been a place for music. Our worship of God has often been put to melody. It's been put to song. And those people who've grown up in the church, while we might not be good singers, we're singers, right? We, we, we've grown up doing that. We have our worship songs, some of which we've sung today. We have our hymns, some of which we sing today. 
And the oldest of all, the church has the Psalms. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but the Psalms are the great songbook of the Bible. Try to open your, like if, if you're looking to maybe wonder, you want to follow along with Psalms, what we've always said is that the easiest way to find Psalms in your Bible is to find the exact midway point and then try to open it up. And, uh, and, if, and if, you've, if you've gone to Isaiah, you need to go a little bit further back. You need to come back. In, but you can find Psalms. It's generally the center part of the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Psalms were used for, they were used for worship. And uh, they were used for, in the temple a lot for temple worship. And oftentimes you will see the Psalms dedicated to, to certain people that you don't recognize. You might see a Psalm dedicated to Asaph. And that was one of David's choir directors. A guy by the name of Asaph. You might see the Psalms associated with the sons of Korah. They were descendants of Levi, and they were also responsible for music. The point is, singing music as part of our worship is nothing new. The Psalms uh, represent the prayer and the praise of ancient Israel. And the Psalms are really more than just songs. They're not just songs. They're also a record of the spiritual life of God's people. Like today, in, in our prayer time, in our time of confession, we read that that song of David that, that he basically wrote and composed and sang, and, and it was a prayer after he had been with Bathsheba and been confronted by the prophet Nathan. So it's a record of the lives of our Old Testament heroes, or lack thereof in, in most cases. More than any other book in the New Testament, we see the Psalms actually shaping the thoughts of the New Testament writers. Did you know that, that the most quoted book in the New Testament are the Psalms. More than any other Old Testament book, the New Testament writers have been influenced by the Psalms. And, and it's a funny thought to think about this, but the songs that Jesus sang in his worship life would have been the Psalms. Isn't that a funny way to think about the Psalms? That these would have been the same songs that Jesus sang. Jesus and his disciples probably sang from Psalm 118 when they left the upper room. And again, when, when Peter and John were arrested, the church came and they sang over them or spoke over them or prayed over them the words of Psalm chapter 2. We read about that happening in Acts. You ever heard about uh, St. Benedict? He kind of had a, a rule which he used to, to kind of help monks understand how to do life in a community. And according to the rule of St. Benedict, the monks under his care would sing all 150 psalms together every week. We think that that is such a good example. We plan on instituting that at Lakeside. Is that correct? And so next week's worship service is going to be three hours. Make sure you show up early. Can you imagine that? That's a lot of singing. That's a lot of 150 psalms a week. You've heard of Martin Luther, the great reformer, and you've heard about him nailing his 95 thesis to the wall in Wittenberg. But did you know that before that, he preached for two years on the psalms? And do you remember how the church at that, at that period of time and a little bit before was worshiping? They were using the Latin mass. Now, imagine if you went to church and it was in another language, maybe a dead language like Latin, and there would be beautiful music and people would be singing these deos and glorias, but you had no idea really what was behind it, what it meant, what they were singing. Can you imagine how different that would feel? I mean, I love the fact that when we sing, we're able to put the words up on screen so that when we mumble, you can still know what we're saying, Right? I mean, so this, words are important, and when, when Martin Luther and others began to get rid of the Latin Mass, do you know where the Reformers went to find a psalm book? They went to the Psalms. Now, that's quite an introduction for the Psalms. So let me tell you where I'm going. I'm concerned that we do not pay enough attention to the Psalms. And if the Psalms were a critical part of the spiritual life for the Old Testament church and for Jesus and the New Testament church and for the reformers, why shouldn't it be of grave importance to us? Why shouldn't it be part of, of, our, of our prayer life and our spiritual life? Uh, now, I've, as we've established, the music of the Psalms, that was important. But more than just being musical Psalms, the Psalms are actually prayers. We've said that before. They're, they're these poetic prayers that are set to music, but they're prayers nonetheless. In fact, when we look at the Psalms, we find all kinds of prayers uh, for life seasons. What, you never know where you're going to be in life. But, but if you look at the Psalms, you can find prayers about justice. 
where might those be prayed in this world? You, you can find prayers of thanksgiving. You can find prayers of worship. You can find prayers of lament, prayers of trust, prayers of wisdom. I would go as far as to say that whatever you're going through in life, whatever season of life you're in, there is a psalm which covers that. There are psalms when you're rejoicing. There are psalms of disappointment, psalms of thanksgiving, even psalms that border on the emotion of rage. What I want to do over the next few weeks is to reintroduce you to the psalms and to see if there's any value in learning to add these psalms to your prayer life. So here's the bottom line. I think the psalms are a great gift of God. I think that uh, one of the primary ways you can use the psalms is to learn to pray the words of the psalms to the Father. So, so actually they become your words, somehow a blending between they were David's words and they're your words, they were the psalmist's words and they're your words. You share in them and somehow join with them in those same thoughts. And what's interesting is if you understand the psalms to be the word of God, when you pray the psalms, you're actually praying the word of God over or to the word, over or to God. So how interesting is that to, to use God's words in your prayers? Uh, scholars have grouped the psalms based on their content, and they've, they've really come up with seven categories of psalms. Uh, this sermon series, we're going we're to talk about a few of them, and that'll be part one, and then maybe later on next year we're going to get to part two. Uh, but the one that we're going to pay attention to this morning is the first category of psalms, which is called wisdom psalms. And the first place you find a wisdom psalm is, fortunately for us, Psalm 1. Uh, and what I want to do before we get going any more of the preaching of this is to read together Psalm 1 as part of our worship. And what we do here at this church is when we read from Scripture in, the, in these large chunks like this, we stand as a way of positioning ourselves in reverence to the Word of God. So if you're able, I'm going to invite you now to stand. And let's pray for understanding and then we'll read. Father, we do come to your Word and as we read these words of the Psalms, God, may they be for us a prayer. May they do their work with your Holy Spirit of shaping our hearts, bringing upon us repentance, bringing upon us wisdom and understanding. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, here now the word of the Lord found in Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please go ahead and be seated. Before we talk about Psalm 1, let's talk about wisdom. When you think about prayers about wisdom, what comes to mind? For most people who will think about prayers about wisdom, what's going to come to their mind is King Solomon. King Solomon was said to have been the wisest of all of Israel's kings, and he was known to be a man who prayed to the Lord for wisdom. I want to read about that encounter today with Solomon and the Lord. We find that in 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to read the fifth verse together. Solomon has this dream. And in the dream, the Lord appears before Solomon and says this to Solomon. Ask what I shall give you. Ask what I shall give you. Now, that's, that's never happened to me. I've never in my life been in a situation where the Lord appeared to me and said, Tyson, ask what I shall give you. I, I'm guessing it's never happened to you either. But it's an interesting position to ponder the Lord should appear to you in a dream and ask you, what shall I give you? What would you ask for in this situation? It's kind of like this one moment which I'm kind of hesitant to preach through and teach through because it almost teaches people to think of, of God like this genie in a bottle, and that's not really God's nature. Make no mistake, God is no genie in a bottle. He is a generous father. 
He's a father who gives good gifts. What would you ask for? Would you ask for uh, riches or, or, or love or health? Here in 1 Kings, King Solomon famously asks for wisdom. That's what he asks for. And this is what he actually says. We're going to read it together. Uh, 1 Kings 3, 7 through 9. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? Isn't that a great line? He, he says, uh, basically, uh, I'm just this little, little kid. I'm but a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. And, and he's asking for an understanding mind. And what's really interesting is Solomon says this, but he's not a child. He's a grown man. When, when he prays this prayer, he's very much a grown man. But when it comes to this idea of what it takes to rule a kingdom, he says, I might as well, I might as well be a child. I don't have that kind of wisdom. He realizes he doesn't have this wisdom. He, he understands he has a lack of wisdom. He knows what he doesn't know. Does that make sense? That he knows what he doesn't know. And, and when given an opportunity, Solomon then prays for wisdom. Have you ever felt like Solomon, um, have you ever been put in charge of a project that you have no idea how you're going to complete? You don't even know how to start, but it's such a like a good opportunity, you agree to do it, and then you realize you desperately need wisdom. I remember when my kids were born, like, and I remember thinking, uh, I, I felt like Solomon in that moment. It's like, I, I, I remember Solomon says, I feel like a kid. I felt like a kid. I was 23. I was a baby having babies, you know, so if y'all think about those days back then, like, what did I know about raising kids? I was still playing video games four hours a night. I mean, I was still a youth director. I was basically a professional kickballer. I mean, that's what you do. God bless you, Weston and Sam and all you, but you know, it's true. Um, the fact is, uh, I needed wisdom. And you know what's funny about wisdom? Is that it takes just a little bit of wisdom to know that you need wisdom, right? You have to have just enough wisdom to know that there's things that you don't know. If you completely, if you don't even have that little bit, if the, the people who completely lack wisdom, they don't know they don't have wisdom. And, and what, I think what Scripture would call those people is fools. Fools don't know that they lack wisdom. They don't know that they need to pray for wisdom. But if you have just a little bit of wisdom, you realize that you don't know everything and that you could really use the wisdom of the Lord. And we talk about wisdom, and what we want to get at is the biblical idea of wisdom. If I was to ask everybody here what was their personal definition of wisdom, they would probably say something like, uh, Someone who is a good decision maker, someone who makes smart choices, that's wisdom. Uh, to have good instincts or intuition. However, I want to show you, I'm going to put on the screen the biblical, kind of the center point uh, of biblical wisdom in Scripture. It's Proverbs 9.10. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In other words, if you, if you want to be wise, if anyone wants to be wise, the first step is that they have to fear God. And then you become kind of wise by, by knowing God. And so you have this idea of, of to fear God. Does that mean what it sounds like? Like, should we really be afraid of God? Well, simply put, I, I want to suggest that, yeah, that we should. Um, a little, anyway. And I, I think... I think anytime I, like a preacher or a teacher tries to say otherwise, they, they run this danger, they have this tendency to create for us this buddy-God scenario where God's our buddy and God is our pal, and we have this relationship with God the Father based on mutual respect and admiration, and we're just peers, he and I, but that is not the case. I remember as, as a parent, I don't know if you've ever had these situations uh, I've had these situations sometimes, and I won't tell you when yesterday, um, where, where as, a, as a parent, you look at your child and you say something along the lines of, I'm not your buddy, and I'm not your friend, I'm your father. And that's never, that, that never comes in the middle of a good conversation. You're never, you're never like really enjoying the conversation. You go, you know what? I'm not your friend. You know, it normally comes in one of those strong conversations with your child in which 
uh, they're acting like y'all are equals and they're saying things to you that are somewhat disrespectful and you have to stop and say, listen, I love you and I'm not your buddy and I'm not your friend. I am your, I'm your father and this, I'm speaking to you as your father, right? I bring this up because I think Martin Luther has this great way of understanding the fear of the Lord and how he compares the fear of the Lord uh, to the unique way in which a son thinks about his father. So let me read this to you. Martin Luther makes this distinction when he talks about the fear of the Lord. He says, you shouldn't fear God the way a prisoner fears a tormentor in the torture chamber. So, so you shouldn't fear God like a prisoner who, who's about to get tortured by someone. That, that guy, this guy's about to do something bad to me. I'm afraid of him. Luther goes on to say, God is not, uh, uh, he goes on to say that we also shouldn't fear God the way a prisoner fears an executioner. He says that God doesn't desire this kind of fear from his children. But rather, Luther says, we should have a healthy fear of God. And he says that this is the way that a son fears a father. Luther is imagining a son who has, who has great respect for his dad. And therefore, the son doesn't want to let his dad down. Uh, sure, he, he doesn't want to be punished, but that's not the greatest motivating factor. The greatest motivating factor is he doesn't want to disappoint his father. The beginning of wisdom is that work that the Holy Spirit does inside of you that makes you care about disappointing God, at least as much as you care about punishment. Wisdom comes from striving to live in a way where you want to please God with your actions. And, and so if we understand this is the basic biblical definition of wisdom, what can we say about non-Christians? Is it possible for a non-Christian to be wise? Well, when we talk about non-Christians, they can be witty, they can be smart, they can be intelligent. But according to the biblical definition, non-Christians cannot be wise because they don't care about the heart of the Father and they do not have a healthy dose of the fear of God. Solomon had this fear of, of God and he didn't want to let the Lord down when, when he took over as the king. God had chosen Solomon to lead and not just lead anyone, but to lead God's covenant people so Solomon prayed for wisdom. But what motivated Solomon's prayer for wisdom was fear and reverence of God. I, I, got, I got to share this story with you. It, you know, I've been pastor of Lakeside for about four years and, and maybe four months or something like that. And uh, before that, I was associate pastor of a church in, in Lubbock, and I had, uh, had got some great experience there. I got to, uh, to preach once a month, and then the pastor uh, resigned, and then I, I led in the interim. And I got to preach some then as well. And, and I had great experience in leadership. But uh, when it came to, to being uh, the senior pastor, the, the lead pastor, I had never done that before. So when I took the job at Lakeside, uh, I may have looked calm and collected on the outside as I assured the search committee, I can do all that stuff. You know, I got it. But on the inside, I was, once they said, okay, you're our guy, I was terrified. I felt like Solomon. I was like, oh, my goodness. And, and I, I became really aware that what if I don't know what I'm doing? What if I don't have the gift of leadership and preaching? What, what, what then? But most of all, what if I let the Lord down? What if I led Lakeside in a way that was poor? And do you know what that, you know what that fear did to me? You know what it led me to do? And I got to say this in a way that's um, like, this is not, um, this is not a humble brag. So, so understand this. It drove me onto my knees in the sanctuary. Like I came here and I got on these steps and I can remember days of just praying up here and I was just saying, God, I, I really, really need wisdom. And, and really what drove me to that was fear of the Lord and fear of disappointing my, my father. And I, I, I want to say again, there's no arrogance in that statement. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to virtue signal. I'm just saying it's a gift of God whenever you finally realize that you're in a situation when you really need to pray for God's wisdom. Is that a feeling that you understand at all? Do you understand what it, what it feels like to feel like you don't have the wisdom to get through whatever like lies before you? You ever felt like that before? Maybe not the feeling of being a pastor, but the feeling of wanting to please God with your life and feeling that you might not have all the wisdom necessary to do so. I mean, maybe you've got parents that are aging and you're having to make these final health care decisions for them. You're like, God, I don't know how to choose this stuff. Or maybe you're facing a new challenge professionally. 
Maybe your friends keep coming to you with these situations in your life and you feel like a great responsibility to speak God's word to them, but the same kind of pressure, like, how am I going to be wise enough to do this? When the psalmist talks about wisdom here in Psalm 1, it's a little bit different kind of prayer than what we found Solomon praying. Remember when Solomon prayed for wisdom, he just kind of asked God for wisdom. He said, God, give me the ability to, to like discern between good and, and bad. He just kind of prayed straight out, like, give me wisdom, God. Now, the psalmist is going to be a little bit different. Instead of just asking straight up for wisdom, there's a way in which the psalmist begins to talk about wisdom and describe wisdom, and it's almost as if he's, he's praying Proverbs back to God. And we read Psalm 1 together today, and if we understand Psalms to be prayers, and we would ask the question, what is the psalmist praying about in Psalm 1? Psalm 1 isn't asking for anything, which may seem funny for you if that's your only relationship with God is to ask for stuff. Let's take another look. Let's look at Psalm 1 again. Let's explore it. In Psalm 1, 1 through 2, the psalmist prays this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. This isn't a prayer of asking for wisdom. Instead, Psalm 1 is a prayer of trust and confession. It's basically saying out loud the things the psalmist knows to be true. Saying out loud, God, I know that you know how to make people wise. And it's this, it comes by avoiding the counsel of wicked people, and avoiding living like the scoffer, and instead choosing to delight in the law of the Lord. So think of that word, like delight. When you read the word of God, is there in you a delight? Like like I see in my kids when they eat ice cream. You know what I mean? There's that, that, mmm, that's so good. I mean, how many of us, when we read scripture, is there actually delight in us? And then there's this other thing, that, that we would meditate on it day and night. I used to have this... Um, this mentor by the name of Jimmy Bankhead. Jim Bankhead uh, was an Auburn guy, and he actually married my friends, the Stuckies, and he was in Opelika, Alabama at First Presbyterian Church for a long time. And he was, he was about 6'6", big guy, played college football and baseball, and, and he would stand up and he'd say, and he'd talk about Scripture. He's like, sometimes when you read a, a verse of Scripture, you just got to chew on it for a while. You just got to chew all day long. Just chew and chew and chew until it gets into your mouth and you can digest it. And I thought that was really country wisdom, but I thought it was really good. It's this idea of meditating. And he would do this. He would take verses and he would just play them back. He would meditate on them day and night. This is the prescription for wisdom. The biblical prescription for wisdom is to delight in the word of God and to meditate on it day and night. It's not hard. You want to be biblically wise? It starts with the fear of the Lord. Then it becomes this idea that you love God's word and then you meditate on it day and night. And basically, what can you expect if you do this? That's what happens next in this. The psalmist says in verse 3 that the person who does this is like a tree planted by streams of water. And that tree yields its fruit in season and that tree's leaf doesn't wither and that all that that person does prospers. It's quite a promise for people just for studying Scripture, just for loving the Word of God. If you, if you pray this psalm, your heart's going to begin to realize that by studying the Word of God, there are three things that are going to happen to you. The first thing that happens is that you will be like a tree planted by streams of water. What does that mean? Well, it means that just as a tree which is planted by streams of water has ample water, if you're looking for wisdom and you're meditating on God's Word day and night, you're going to have plenty of wisdom. It's going to be like you have a full river of wisdom at your feet. The second thing that's going to happen is this, that that you will yield fruit in season and your leaves will not wither. What does that mean? Calvin says that there's there's this, what's going on here is this implied contrast between uh, a tree that is getting wisdom or a person that's getting wisdom, a tree that's getting water, and a tree that is in bad soil and is not getting wisdom or water. So it's basically someone who is meditating on the Word of God and loves it and someone who's not meditating on the Word of God. And on one hand, you get a tree that is, that is bearing fruit, and on the other hand, you get a tree whose leaves are withering. And the question that we're left with is, how are we being watered? Is there wisdom in our life? Are we studying the Scripture? We have to ask ourselves, how are we watered? 
And you've got to remember, the water is the Word of God. And the result of the watering is wisdom. So what is the alternative? What if we, what if we never study the Word of God? What if we don't delight in it? What if we don't meditate upon it? Psalms 1, 4 through 6 kind of lists what will happen. It says, uh, the wicked are not so. They're not watered. They're not wise. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What does it do to our souls to pray a prayer like this? Um, the kind of prayer where you're not necessarily asking for wisdom, but instead you're, you're declaring the, how to get wisdom back to the Father. When do you think it would be a good time to pray a prayer like this? When, when's an appropriate time to pray one of these wisdom psalms? I want to suggest this. I think that the appropriate time to pray a wisdom psalm would be like when you see evil people triumphing. You, you ever see this? You ever look at people and, and they live these garbage lives they have these garbage morals, and it just seems like they win at every corner. They, they, they get the girl, they get rich, and, and you're kind of going, what in the world? I, I thought that if you delight in the law of the Lord, your leaves are supposed to, uh, or, or excuse me, you're supposed to bear fruit. But if you don't, your, your, your leaves are going to wither. Which is it? It just doesn't seem fair. It, there's businessmen who've gotten wealthy by cheating others. There's athletes who have zero wisdom and zero love for God, and they're driving around these half-million-dollar cars. And you think to yourself, maybe I should just cheat and walk over people too. I think that's where the wisdom psalms are helpful. They remind us that life is but a vapor, and that God is a just God who delights in us and calls us to lighten him and his word. No matter what it looks like on TV, the, the way of the wicked will perish. I, I, want, I want to say this just in recap. Let's just recap for a second. The church has long had psalms as the great songs and the prayers of Scripture. However, not many of us use psalms in our normal prayer lives. We just don't. We've kind of lost them. Even though there are these psalms for every occasion, we, we just never have learned how to use them as our own. Today we talked about uh, the first wisdom psalm. We talked about Psalm 1. Uh, the wisdom psalms aren't necessarily prayers like Solomon's, which are just asking for wisdom. Rather, they're prayers and songs that declare the wisdom of God. And when we pray them, we speak wisdom to God, and it brings wisdom to our hearts. So here's my question for you, friends. Do you have a desire for wisdom? You see, as we discussed earlier, it takes just a little bit of wisdom to know that you need wisdom. And if you don't have that little bit of wisdom to know that you need wisdom, Scripture would call you a fool. Do you have the desire for wisdom? If you do, the greatest wisdom that you could acquire would be the wisdom of the gospel. Now, let me make a distinction real quick. When we read our psalm today, uh, it, we read that the law of God is good for making you wise. And make no mistake that the law of God is good for making you wise. But it's not good for saving your soul. Uh, the only thing that leads to salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have first been saved by grace through faith, then look to the word of God to make them wise. It's not the other way around. Those who trust in Jesus as Lord strive to not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but they delight in the law of the Lord. And they will be like a tree planted by streams of water, who yield their fruit in season. Uh, friends, I want to invite you uh, to, to look up the wisdom psalms this week. We, uh, you've got Google. It's really easy to write in there what are the wisdom psalms and to find a few of them to include in your prayer life this week. Let's see how that goes. This has been the word of God proclaimed. You've heard the gospel that Christ is the only way in which we come to salvation. And those who have come to salvation in Christ find wisdom in the law of the Lord and delighting in his word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your psalms in which we read about the prayers of the saints which have come before us that have been inspired by your Holy Spirit that are useful as songs for the church but also useful as the prayers of the saints. God, give us wisdom as we try to use those in our own prayer life. God, we thank you that we've been the church gathered today. 
We praise your Son, Jesus Christ. Receive now more of our worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. ask you a question. Do you believe that, that God is sovereign? That he controls all things? And do you think his spirit sometimes works to bring all things in, in the order and into place? I guess my point is this. I don't know what brought you here today. You either show up here and some, uh, some middle-aged graying man gets up and blabbers a boring sermon about wisdom. Right? You, you suffer through it. Um, it is there a coincidence is there maybe something that you're supposed to be thinking through in your heart? Why would the Holy Spirit bring you here and deliver a message about wisdom? Maybe you slept through the sermon. It doesn't matter. Where do you need wisdom in your life? Have you, have you thought through this? Have you, like, like what is, because I, I believe that, that if you're not a fool and you have a little bit of wisdom, you have this knowledge that there's something, there's some place in your life where you lack it and you need it. I want you to be thinking about this week as you pray through where you need wisdom. Go now and take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus, his son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit until we meet again. Let's receive the ministry of music once more. I need the every Excited. It was wonderful to worship with you. Until next week, God bless.